All right, I'm on. Okay. Um, <clears throat> actually, I got. Uh, actually, I got to grab that water because my voice. I don't know. I woke up this morning and it was just gone. I guess when I hang out with Gerald too much, his voice leaves like every other week. So, anyways. <clears throat> I came down here for a friend's wedding, 13-hour drive, and I was an hour late. <laughs> Let me tell you that story. Um, so basically what happened was I have a couple friends that uh, were getting married, and you know, and I said, yeah, I'll come down, you know, and um, I made the phone call to Jackie and said, hey, Jackie, would you uh, be open to, for me speaking at your church? And he said, absolutely. So it ended up working out to where... I got to speak here, and yesterday was the wedding, <clears throat> and I was walking around, trying to burn time, sitting with my mom at Chick-fil-A, going to Hastings, because I thought it was at 7, you know, and uh, so my phone gives me a reminder, and it starts blinking, and I look down at my phone, and it says, Jeremy and Kara's wed, dot, 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 7 o'clock, I was invited on Facebook, so I was like, okay, and also I, I got something in the mail for the, for the whole wedding invitation, but I didn't bring it down with me. Well, I show up at 7 or 6.45, you don't want to be late. And um, everyone's eating, and everyone's playing music and dancing, and I was just like, well, that's weird to do first, you know, at a wedding. Like, they've seen each other. And so I walk up, and he's like, oh, you know, yeah, totally. Well, with the one we sent you in the mail said 6, and then the one we invited you to on Facebook was for the reception at 7. It's like, oh, cool. So I drove 13 hours. My mom called my mom and wanted that encouraging word from my mother. Mom, hey, I was late for the wedding. What is wrong with you? <laughs> well, thanks, Mom. I feel really great. Well, you forgot your toothbrush at your grandma's and your charger at the Eckers, and now you are an hour late. Are you okay? I'm all right. Um, if you guys don't know who I am, uh, my name is BJ. And um, I am a pastor at Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel in Yucca Valley, California. And the room you're sitting in is the room that my dad built. And uh, and uh, I've always wanted to do this. Like, uh, I think even when I couldn't teach and I didn't know what I was doing, like, years ago, I always thought, I, man, it'd be great to just get up there and speak. And, um, man, God has done so much in four years. Um, Basically, what happened after my dad passed, I just kind of quit coming here because there was a lot of memories, and there still is. Like, I walked to go use the restroom, and that dove there was still like, whew, it was rough because my dad would walk around and show me all the things he's doing. But I'll tell you, um, this is, if you guys can make it through the first five minutes of this message, we'll be okay. Um, but basically, um, my dad would just be so happy right now. I mean, because there's a lot of people that know me here, but there's a whole lot of people that have no clue who I am, and that shows growth. And my dad would like that. And um, everything that you guys have done with adding daycares and this nice patio out here and all this stuff, I mean, that's, that's what he would have wanted for this church to carry on. And we serve such a, a graceful, awesome God that yeah. it's, not the, it's not the vessel. You know, my dad did his part, did his role. And um, man, God brought in someone else to continue that. And so uh, we serve a very, very big God. So... Basically, after my mom married Gerald and I spoke at my dad's funeral, he made it a point to bother me about once a week about moving down there. And I was working for CSN, so I was pretty happy where I was. And he's like, I want to raise you up. And he was really good friends with my dad. I didn't realize that. I just thought he kind of like knew my dad. But going to the 
senior pastor's conference with him, I was really shown that like people knew stories about him and my dad doing things and all this stuff there. So I was really, really blessed to um, hear some stories about my dad. But basically, um, he called me, and finally I made the decision to move out to California. And he does, he, Gerald has a way of training you up, but in the most terrifying way possible, and it's called sink or swim. And um, I get down there, and I've always, I was kind of teaching this, I was doing this youth group for like five years, and thinking like, yeah, that's awesome, you know, five, ten kids, you know, and really excited. I got up to like 15 a couple times, and I get down there, and they're already starting with like 70, and I was like, oh, I don't like speaking in front of this many people. And so I ended up getting that and then doing 1829, which is our college ministry. And then I remember um, he asked me to do a workshop one year at a men's retreat, which was like terrifying because you're not speaking to kids. You're speaking to people you look up to as spiritual leaders. And you're like, what am I going to tell you? You know, like that you can't tell me better than I can tell you. And um, I just have always taken great, great pleasure that God uses foolish things to confound the wise. And um, then he asked me to do a Sunday morning, and I was like, I'm not that foolish, and so I can't be that wise. So, um, but basically, he threw me up there, and uh, things have gone really well. And since I did it, I guess, I mean, I'm still doing it. And Gerald's gone all the time. Gerald and my mom have an orphanage in um, Malawi, as most of you know, and um, he does Israel tours and other things like that. So I've already gotten a chance to do it like six or seven times this year to teach, and, and there's three services, and it's about 2,000 2, to 2,400 people by the time you're done, and God knew, you know, all the time when, like, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, but when I kind of didn't understand what God was doing, God knew that, you know, if, if my dad had 100 times at an offer to live till he was 80, 90, and go in his sleep, or if he died younger, and he was going to light the whole family on fire, and do great things, and raise up the son to be a pastor, and onward and onward. Um, he would have chose um, going at 50 any time. Told you, we're almost done with the five minutes. This happened last time, but I'm good. So um, my dad would just be really happy, and I want to start it with that. But um, So my name is BJ, and um, I was wondering what to do as far as a message, because this is a different congregation than the one I'm used to teaching. What do I speak to you? Well, one thing we all have in common is I think we've all been wrecked at one time in our life or we're going to be wrecked in the future and we're guaranteed that's going to happen. So I want to speak to your guys' hearts tonight. And there's two completely different stories. And I believe that every one of us has either in that category or has been in that category at one time. And we kind of wonder where God is and what Jesus is doing. And we don't quite understand it. But... Um, Let's just, before we get started, go into the, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you. Lord, you are so good to us, Lord, and I just thank you for, Lord, just using people, Lord, and just for what you've done with my dad here, Lord, and I just thank you for a heaven, Lord God, where he is worshiping you and we will all see each other again. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to bless this church and move this church forward, Lord, not just people-wise, but spiritually, Lord, we thank you for Jackie for coming down and, and doing this. Lord, we just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place, Lord God, and maybe some of our Christianity, Lord, has been stale. Lord, and maybe we have um, gotten wrapped up into um, religion and not you. And Lord, I just pray that that wouldn't be the case today, Lord God, that we could know you here right now, Lord God. Lord, maybe there's hurting hearts in here, and Lord, if, if there is, Lord God, I pray that they could take comfort in these messages. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17 is what we're starting with. And before we even start reading, I want you guys to, I mean, we always call them Bible stories, but stories is usually something that predicts, like it's going to be a fiction, right? And we're losing more and more and more of the young people, and the generation is kind of fizzling out because we've heard Bible stories. This is not a Bible story. This is a, this is a historical fact that was recorded. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times we, we picture these stories as, Things that have happened that, that can encourage us in our life. But that's not the case. This was a real lady with real problems. The next lady you're going to hear about was a real lady with real problems. I mean, people have been having this happen since the beginning. And this was recorded. So take yourself out of your shoes and put yourself in the shoes of this lady. And it starts out in chapter 7, verse 11. Now it happened the day after that, that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. So at this point... Jesus is in full swing of his ministry. He's practically a rock star. Everyone loves Jesus, right? He's doing cool things like healing people, casting out demons. People are leaving their jobs and their houses just to follow him. He has a large crowd wherever he goes. And at this point, they're following him wherever he goes. So he's walking around and, you know, he's, he's doing pretty awesome things. We've seen him heal a man's hand, cast out a demon, just crazy things. And then all of a sudden, like, he's walking and he just kind of takes off in a weird direction. And I could just see all the people following him. Jesus knew what he was doing, but no one else had a clue what he was doing. So they're like, Jesus, where are you going? You know, and he's like, just forget about it. I'll show you where I'm going. And so he walks eight miles out of his direction to a nothing town named Nain, right? I like to compare it to Landers, where I'm from, but you guys can compare it to Castleford, because that's what my dad used to do. <laughs> but it's a nothing town. A bunch of farmers, right? And I, I'm sure that this isn't the case of Castle Ford, but these people were very illiterate. They couldn't read. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't do anything. And basically, Jesus is like, saddle up. We're going to Nain, right? And so these people are following him. And um, this is the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. That's how insignificant this city is. And we see that Jesus is going there in verse 11, and, in, and a large crowd's following him. And it says, And when he had came near to the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. This is one thing I know a lot about. I know a lot about small cities, and I know a lot about you can do anything and be... I remember I used to get in trouble in Twin Falls, and someone either knew my uncle or my dad, and I guaranteed I'd get a phone call within like... Oh, I remember one time I took too many samples at Costco. And I remember that someone called and said, your son, your son's mowing down the samples at Costco, Brent. My dad's like, please quit calling me. You know, like, please, please quit telling on him. He's trying, you know. But that's the way it was. Everyone knew it, you know. It's a small town. Everyone knew this kid. Everyone had seen this lady. And everyone knew her story. Here's this widow that's already buried her husband. How in the world could this happen? Now she's bearing her son. It says he's probably a young man. Think, think in 15. Think 15 years old. Her future is in that box. She was supposed to be being, you know, taken care of when she gets older by her son. And now she has nobody. And so you can picture the sense of hopelessness that is happening here. People are crying. There's professional mourners that are just having a heyday. Just screaming and crying. And then out of the corner of your eye, I want you to picture it. Jesus is coming up. Well, somebody's coming up with a crowd of people during this open casket funeral, which have always creeped me out. But they're coming up. And 
yeah, in California, they just <laughs> give you your ashes. And here, they like, we like look at a picture of you and then look at you. And I don't know. It's weird. Anyways, so they're coming up. And basically, Jesus walks into town with all of his people. And it says right here that there's a woman and she was crying. And I, I just got to just picture how broken she was. Can you picture, really, I mean, some of you, I, I know for a fact you've had to bury your son. But your husband, too. There's just a spirit of brokenness. And, and I remember when going to Joshua Springs and Gerald, first thing he had me do was hospital visits. I was like, yeah, I am definitely not cut out for this job because this is hard. I don't know what I'm going to say. What do you say? You know, there's, I remember the first one was a guy dying from cancer. He was pretty young. Second one was another person dying from cancer that was a little older. And they had been married, well, actually a lot older, but they had been married for 40-something years. And the woman was just broken. There's just a brokenness that happens in life. And since Adam and Eve and, and all that sin and death and everything has entered the world. So I promise you, if you haven't experienced the thing that will rock you to your core, you're going to someday. And that's a depressing message. Just kidding. But truthfully, every, you're all going to experience something. And I experienced something like that about six years ago. You know, my dad, he was, he was a rock, man. Like, he was the guy that, like, literally has gotten punched in the face so many times. He had no cartilage in his nose. He fell down a second story, you know, thing, you know, and fell onto a whole bunch of wood. He got in car wrecks. I mean, no one, nothing could hurt my dad. And I thought I had years with him. And then when everything leveled out and all of a sudden he got sick, I was like, cancer's not going to hurt him. Man, I was wrong. And even when he died, I was like, this is it. He's dead. Lord, raise him up. Be healed. Get up and walk out and show these people the power of God. And it it wasn't going down that way. I was broken. And then I started to blame, man. I started to blame it on everything, you know. Well, Lord, I mean, I had a lot of years left with my dad, and he was supposed to raise me up, and now what's going to happen? I have no clue what I'm doing with my future, and blah, 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 and just asking questions. This woman was probably in that same spot. Lord, you took my husband, and now you're, you're taking my son. What am I supposed to do? I remember another time, too, where I really realized that there's a lot of broken people, and we need to... You know, and a lot of times we try to avoid those people. Hey, man, how are you doing? Oh, well, my life's horrible. You know, you're like, oh, see you later. You know what I mean? That's a lot of people today. But look where Jesus was. He made a divine appointment to go to Nain, an illiterate hick town, you know? And I remember at JS, we have this thing called Mountain Moving Prayer, and we'd sit around and pray for people in the church. And I remember uh, this guy, he, he didn't know how to pray, and so he just wanted to kind of read some prayers for people because he wanted to lift people up in prayer. But, you know, he's one of those guys that believe you have to pray really elaborate prayers. And we're like, you don't have to do that. Just talk like you're talking to somebody. He's like, no. And so he wants to read these things. So we printed off prayer requests. This is for warriors on the wall for our town. So it's, this is somehow connected to our church somehow. There's a whole bunch of people that either know people that know people. But this is like half of the list every week we read. And I'm only going to read you a few of them, but man, there's broken people all over our church. There's broken people all over this church, and it's so easy to lose sight of what's going on. It says right here, please pray for Mike Balin. He's actually a great friend of mine. Um, His whole family was in a car accident yesterday, and they're all in the hospital. No details available at this time. I'll update when I hear something. Pray that the Lord would be with them and that their injuries are not serious. Please pray for Phyllis Johnson's friend Donna. 
Donna will be having knee replacement surgery tomorrow, and she's apprehensive. Pray for the Lord would be with Donna. Um, please pray for a marriage that's in serious trouble. Please pray for the healing in this marriage that will survive, also that the husband and the, night, uh, the wife will renew the relationship. Please pray for Andy. On May 25th, he was playing with his niece and fell. He broke seven, uh, he broke seven ribs, a broken shoulder, punctured lung, and has two blood transfusions. Prayer is wanted for their health and finances through this time. Please pray for uh, Joyce Roberts' cousin, Rita, who has cancer. She's undergoing chemotherapy and is in constant pain. Please pray for the Lord's healing of Rita and that he would ease her pain. Um, We've been praying for Donna, who is scheduled for knee surgery, same lady. Um, She developed a problem with her leg, and as soon as her leg is better, they will reschedule surgery. Please pray for a married couple who has been separated for six months, and the husband asked for a divorce. They are going to attend a marriage retreat this weekend. Prayers wanted that God will work in a wonderful way. Please pray for Pat Morgan's husband, Dale, who's seriously ill. Pray that the Lord would give him his peace and strength through this difficult time. I mean, it just goes on and on and on with people with cancer, financial problems, things that are rocking you to your core, things that will leave you like this woman, broken, asking where God is and what he's doing. And and someday, I promise you, you're going to be in that spot where you're going to have to wonder what's happening. Well, I'm going to tell you exactly what God does during this time. We look at the next verse. It says in uh, verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. That's where Jesus is at this time. We want to know where Jesus is and how he feels about your situation. He travels out of his way to come beside you. And what does it say? He has compassion. He looks at this woman and he says, Do not weep. As she's screaming and crying, he has compassion and he can, he can sympathize with what's going on. God knows exactly what you're going on. He, he witnessed the biggest injustice the world has ever seen by the murder of his son. He can understand what you're going through. Amen. Nothing is too great. So we look at this, and what happens? He says, do not weep. In verse 14, he says, Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who did carried him still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up, began to speak, and, and he presented him to his mother. Think about the switch in emotions that happened there. All of a sudden, crying, weeping, mourning. Jesus, like, get up, quit being dead. And he was like, okay, I'm awake, you know, and... Man, everything's good. And like I said, man, I prayed that prayer and it didn't happen for me. So what does that mean? It means that God had a bigger, better plan. It means if I would have gotten what I wanted, God wouldn't have been able to work. But let me tell you something. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus rose again and Jesus defeated sin and he defeated death and he reaches into dead bodies all the time and brings us forth new creations. So if it's not going to happen in this life, it's going to happen in the next. Our God is big and our God is real. And every day he reaches into dead people and dead dry man's bones and reaches in and gives us life. So we see what happened. Right after that happens, there's a celebration. There's things happening. People are rejoicing. There's a giant party. And it says, then the fear came upon them all after they realized what happened. And they began to glorify God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us. God has visited his people. And this report went out about him throughout Judea and all the surrounding region. You can't tell me if I died right now up here and someone stood up and said, be healed, Jesus said so. And I got up and was like, that was super weird. And I just kept teaching. Everyone would be like, 
you guys wouldn't wait to get out the door to tell people. You guys would call KMBT. You guys would, I mean, it would be a big deal. Man dies on stage. Mother says, you're not dead. Jesus told me so. And I got back up and started preaching. Every single person would say something. Right? I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, I know I would. I would Facebook it right as it was happening. Like, I would literally post it right as it was happening. I'm like, oh, this is either going to work. It's not going to work. Either way, it's a viral video instantly. But here's the deal. We believe that. And how many of us are quiet? How many of us feel like we're serving our part in Christianity by sitting on a church pew or seat? I literally believe that Jesus reaches into dead people and brings forth a new creation. I have seen the worst of the worst, and I've seen him reach in and change people completely. People that have made huge mistakes, people that have had people die, people that have hurt their children on accident, people that have done some horrible things, and I've seen God reach in, make them a new person. And I want to tell you about it. And I'm going to tell you about it. But where are we? If we believe this is happening... Why aren't we all telling people about what Jesus is going to do and what he's doing right now? We should all be filled with that same spirit to, listen, I was a horrible person. Look what God's doing now. I was dead. Now I'm alive and you can be too. So maybe that is you. Maybe you've had that situation. Man, maybe, maybe you were molested in here. Man, every group I've had, it seems like there's more and more people that come out to me and, man, I've had a horrible life. I was molested and beat by my mother. Maybe, maybe it's just you had that person like I did that you looked up to as your rock and all of a sudden he dies and you feel like there's no more hope. Maybe there's just over and over and over again. I don't know what it is. It's different for every person. But where was Jesus? He was out of his way to be right next to this lady. He's out of his way to be right next to you here tonight. He loves you. So if that's you here tonight, then this works. But if that's not you, this next one will be. We're skipping John the Baptist. It's a great part of the story, but it just doesn't go right now. So we're going to skip to 36. This is another woman who's extremely broken. And she's got a whole lot of crazy um, thoughts going on. But it's not because of her situation so much. It's more because of her sin. And we're going to see what happens here. It says, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went out to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. I love that these two, uh, these two historical facts, I almost said stories, you almost got, got me. But these two stories that are true um, happened right next to each other in the same exact chapter. So we look at this, and I always like to picture, like, I don't know, I kind of pictured like the punk rock Jesus, because he was the guy that was like against the Pharisees and for the small guy. He was like, I forgive this person, and you people that think you know everything know nothing. And look what he's doing. He's eating with the Pharisees. He's trying to reach out to these people too. And so many times I just like, like to picture him as the guy that beat up on the Pharisees. But he, he, he literally reached out to them just as much as he did anybody else. And look at here, he's eating with them. And it says that he sat down with them in the Pharisees' house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisees' house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Okay, so what do we know about this lady? We know that she was a sinner. What does that mean? You know? Well, most of the time when we think of that, 
In biblical times, we think she's a prostitute, right? Why not? I mean, because that's something that would be that everyone would know you're a sinner if you were a prostitute, if you had that house that men just keep coming in and out of, right? Oh, I know what she's up to, you know? So she's a sinner, or let's just say she was someone that was sleeping with her boyfriend, and then all of a sudden you see that car leave every morning, right? And you're like, yeah, they're not doing things right, you know? Let's think about um, maybe, uh, maybe she's just doing it because she needs to pay the bills, right? Or maybe she just sends a whole lot on Facebook and posts it so everyone can see it and so everyone knows she's in sin, right? I remember I said that one because Stagecoach was going on. Um, I did this message on Mother's Day like a little while ago and um, (laughs) Stagecoach was going on, which is a big country drunk fest and tons of people were there from our church and they were all posting Facebook pictures of them like holding beer and getting drunk and standing with random girls and I did this message, and I was like, or maybe they just sin a whole lot and put it on Facebook. And you just see those people like, got to go home, got to delete him. Gotta, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Delete it, hurry. Um, but somehow she was known, and she had a reputation as a sinner. And, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what the sin was, except that she was a sinner. And just picture her. We don't know how long it was either, how long, it didn't say like, and then three months later, she goes and sees Jesus. It could have been five minutes after she was done doing whatever she does as a sin. And she got to that point where she's like, I have nothing. I'm used and used and used and I'm hopeless. And I hear Jesus, I hear about Jesus. He's done great things, he's healed people. I wonder if Jesus can heal me. I heard he's eating with a bunch of religious people. Maybe I'll go down and see what he's doing. And just picturing her walking, just going, I don't know what I'm doing. I have an alabaster flask. I walk in. It's going to be awkward. You know, she's thinking all these things. And basically we see what happens. It says in verse 37, uh, it says in verse 38, it says, and, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with a fragrant oil. And I just picture this woman walking in. You have this whole table of people And the minute she sees this man, I mean, she has seen lots of men in her life that have said that they loved her. She has seen lots of men in her life that probably told her that they love her. But when she sees true love, true perfection, true grace, she weeps uncontrollably the minute she sees Jesus. There's something different. And not only that, but there's something wrong with the situation because Jesus has dirty feet. It was customary to wash someone's feet before you ate. No one wants to look at dirty, stanky feet while you eat. No one. I don't care if they're clean feet. I don't like looking at them. But anyways, but dirty, stanky feet sitting there. And these religious people are so religious. They know so much of the gospel. and I mean, not so much of the gospel, but so much of the scriptures that they are not going to wash Jesus' feet because they're so righteous. And who's this Jesus? And blah, blah, blah. And she sees that Jesus has a need. And she goes down. I just picture her walking up to him. And as she gets closer, just weeping, crying uncontrollably. Because every step she takes closer, she sees how far she has really fallen and how perfect Jesus is. It's just such a beautiful picture. And she begins to, it says right here in verse 38 once again, it says that she began to wash his feet. And it says, with the hair of her head. Customary. I mean, it was like the glory of a woman was her hair. And it would like let it down, it would be for your husband. She took her glory, everything she had, and she gave it to Jesus. 
And think of how awkward everyone else is. Who invited her? Did you invite her? All these like religious people. What is she doing here? Why is she crying? She's not allowed in here, you know. And Jesus is allowing her to wash his feet. And, he's, and she begins to worship him. And I think a lot of it is, is the closer you draw to Jesus, the more your sin's going to hurt. The more you know Jesus' love and grace and how far we've fallen, the more you understand how much our sin hurts. It's not because he's like, I am disappointed in you. It's because I love you. What are you doing? I freed you from this. Why do you want bondage? Why do you want sin? I, I defeated sin and death. Why are you going back to this? And when you're close to Jesus, your sin hurts way more. It's one of those times when you're not close to Jesus, you can live however you want because you've ignored the Holy Spirit for so long. You don't know what the sound of his voice is. But this lady sees Jesus and she repents and she comes down and she begins to wash his feet. I have the, and I got something really important to say. I have the most beautiful daughter in the world. Let's keep going. No. No, I have the most beautiful daughter and she is like, oh my gosh. Okay. I haven't, I haven't seen her for a while, so it's like, oh, she's so cute. Anyways, I'm sitting there and I'm reading my Bible and I'm studying the same exact message. <clears throat> and she, uh, she knows because she always likes to sleep with one of those little Gideon Bibles. And she, Bible, Bible. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's two years old. And um, as, I'm, as, I'm te- as I'm studying, like right before I taught that Sunday, she starts pointing and she's just like, mm, Jesus, mm, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She does, can't point out Jesus, but she just knows that Jesus is here, you know. And uh, then she swings her head in super fast, like just, and then smacks me like right here. And I was like, Ouch! You know, but it wasn't like I was crying or anything. And she just looks at me like, and my mom will attest to this, but she has this thing we call the Laura lip. And she sticks her lip about this far. And then you see her head like turn a different color. And then she just starts weeping uncontrollably. And she runs to her room and she starts screaming and crying. And I'm like, I'm not hurt. Look, daddy's fine. No, daddy hurt. Daddy hurt. And I'm like, no. When's the last time you guys have and hurt about your sin. Because we know Jesus loves us. And how many of you have that sin in your closet or that thing that no one else knows about and you have convinced yourself somehow that it's not a sin? How many of you in here have just said, me and God have an understanding. My sin is okay with the Lord. I don't feel anything anymore. If you don't feel anything anymore and you're sinning, there's something seriously wrong with you. hates sin. Man, be broken before the Lord like this lady. And I don't care if it's here today or if it's at your home, but don't worry about who's sitting around you because this lady could care less that there was a bunch of religious bigots in the room that was looking down on her. She knew that her relationship with Jesus at that point when she saw perfection was the only thing that mattered. So she begins to give everything she has to, to Jesus. She weeps uncontrollably. She draws closer and closer. She probably wasn't planning on crying when she got there. She didn't bring a towel. Seriously. She probably wasn't expecting to, to really experience Jesus in this way, but she started to experience Jesus in this way. And the closest thing she had to wipe his clothes with was her hair, her glory. And she's crying and she's weeping. And we see here in verse 39... Now when the Pharisee who had, uh, who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. There's no speaking out loud. It says that this guy who invited Jesus, this religious leader, spoke to himself saying, 
this man, if he were a prophet, he would know in what manner this woman is and uh, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Man, God knows your heart too, and that's a scary thought. God's sitting there. Jesus is sitting there, creator of the heavens and earth, getting his feet washed. And this guy is basically putting up two categories, holy and unholy. Us, the people that know the scriptures, we're the holy. And you, and apparently the whore over here, you two are unholy. Would you ever want to put Christ into that category? I don't know if you can ever be that holy to want to put Christ into that category, but these people were doing that. Gee, he knew his thoughts. He knew his judgmental heart. He knew what they were about. And it says right there that he, he heard their thoughts and he said to him. And sometimes you can hear people's thoughts too without them actually saying anything. Because they do that whole like, they're disappointed. My mom's really good at like giving you what she thinks about you or what's going on without actually telling you. She's like, you know. I don't know if he was making faces or what he was doing. But Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And he says, Jesus answered and said to him in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And at that point, I guarantee you, he was like, oh no, what is going to happen? And so he said, teacher, say it. Jesus says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing on which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave him more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly, or you have rightly judged. All right, Simon, you know tons of the scriptures and you're so smart, obviously. Obviously, me and her are unholy and you guys are holy. Let me ask you a simple question. We're going back to basics. If a guy owes me $500 and a guy owes me $50 and I forgive both of them, which one's going to be more happy that I forgave him? Well, I assume the one that owes you more. Good work. You've judged rightly. Basically, he's saying, whether or not you think you owe God very little, which every one of you, if you think you owe God very little, are really owing him a lot. Or the person that knows they have nothing to offer Jesus, and they are deeply in debt to him. Jesus comes and says, I have come to pay all your debts. I have come and laid down my life for you, and I am paying all of your debts. I'm leveling out the playing field. The meth head is the same as the person that always came to church. The person that's in an affair is the same person that, you know, thinks that they're okay with the Lord. You're all sinners saved by grace, and I came to pay all the debt. I came to forgive and to restore. And at that point, you would think when Jesus says that, you would just think they would just automatically know what he was talking about and just kind of... You know, Lord, we're really sorry. But these people had so much religion and so um, they were so proud about themselves. And um, I just love what happens here. Because after he says all this stuff, in, um, which one will owe him more? And he's like, you've rightly judged. He begins to defend this woman. Because they were still in their hearts just proud, bitter people. And so he says to him, I, I have this, this whole part underlined in my Bible because it's just beautiful. It says, then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon. So he turns to the woman and he looks to Simon and he goes, do you see this woman? Well, obviously Simon could see her. The whole room could see her. But he wasn't saying that. He's like, Simon, through your religious eyes, through you thinking you have very little sin, through you thinking you're holier, can you see her? 
And I just, I just love when Jesus did that. And I just guarantee you the feeling in the room had to be the craziest feeling ever when Jesus spoke like this. Looking at Simon and saying, look at her. She's probably just still bawling and crying, knowing that she owes so much. And he begins to talk and he says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and her uh, and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same is a forgiven little. I love that. She doesn't know what to do. She's just surrendered her heart to the Lord. And these people are still judging her. And what happens? Jesus defends her. She didn't have to defend herself. And listen, maybe you're in here tonight and everyone in this room knows you're a sinner or they know that you have baggage. You have all sorts of problems. Surrender your heart. Let Jesus defend you. He'll do a way better job. And let me tell you another thing. When I told you guys to put yourselves in these stories, where did you put yourself? Right? We all want to put ourselves in the ladies' shoes here because we want ourselves to be the person that's reaching out for God. But how many of us in here are the religious hypocrites? I'll tell you, I'm one of them. I have been one. Like, it's one of those things that I have to look past because the Lord is working in my heart. But I was that guy years ago that would like, well, I know that person. He's only getting saved. He's just going to go back out to the street and do what he's going to do anyways. What if, what's the sin that you hold so much higher than all the other ones that if someone came up here and came into the church, you'd be like, now that person, he's messed up. Instead of, man, the same way that person was messed up is the same way the Lord freed me. I'm going to pour into that person. You know, it's, I remember the one here for me, especially in Idaho. It's not so much in Palm Springs and Yucca Valley anymore, but homosexuality. That used to freak me out, right? thought it was gross. I still think it's gross. But I thought it was beyond sin. I thought it was like the worst thing ever. And God could never free someone because it's such a bad lifestyle and all these different things. There's tons of Christians that have gotten, I mean, tons of homosexuals that have gotten saved. But if that person came in here very flamboyantly and decided that the Lord has spoken to their heart and they came up here and they began to worship, how many of us would have a judgmental heart towards them? Right? How many of us would have the person that has tattoos and just got done getting drunk outside, came in here and gave their heart to the Lord, would say, oh, he's probably just going to go back out there and do it again? How many of us have that judgmental spirit? Don't automatically put yourselves in the shoes of the woman that's crying out to the Lord. Because there are a lot of people that have been in church a long time and have forgotten the true message of Jesus, which is forgiveness and repentance. Please put yourself in both, person, both people's shoes and let the Lord search your heart. Are you anywhere in either one of those? So basically, at that point, he begins to defend her, but he, he comes back to the simple stuff as she's worshiping the Lord. They're judging the way she's worshiping. And he says to him, he's basically saying, you know, Simon, since I've been here, she's been worshiping me, and you've done nothing but sit there and judge Simon, she's repenting of her sin. I'm going to make her new. I'm going to do something great through her. And Simon, you've done nothing since I've been here. Simon, she has given generously. Her alabaster flask of fragrant oil, which is very expensive, she has poured on my feet. She has taken her glory, anything she had, and making it nothing for me. And Simon, you didn't do anything for me. My feet were still dirty. 
She is weeping for her sin, Simon, and you have not shed a tear. And at that point, you would think every single one of us in this room, if that was us, would be like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I am so sorry. I have fallen so far down and thought that I'm so holy that I'd look down on somebody. But basically, that didn't happen. It says right here. And one thing also I want you to look at, too, that I underlined her sins, which are many. He didn't justify her sin. Sin is sin. He didn't say, well, the reason she's like this is because her father was an alcoholic. And she had a hard upbringing. She had some stuff happen to her when she was young, and that's why she's sinning. So cut her some slack. You know, he didn't say, he didn't say anything like, um, well, she's just doing it to pay the bills. She's just living with her boyfriend because she can't afford rent. He didn't, just, he didn't justify her and defend her in that way. He said, this woman here that's crying, her sins are many, but guess what? I forgive them. I forgive her sins. And you look here and it says right here, um, he said, your sins are forgiven. And they began to question in their hearts. It says, and those who sat at the table began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And I love this. Then Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's like he almost gave him one more shot to like pour into this lady as well and say, you know what? Welcome to the family. <laughs> we are all sinners. Welcome to the family. How can we help you? But they didn't do that. So he looks at them and he goes, looks at her and he goes, your faith has saved you. And basically, these people are going to do you no good. These religious people, they're still going to judge you. So here's what you got to do. Go out and find a community group. Go out and find a church that's going to love you. Go out and find a Bible study with people that are willing to pour into you and to reach you when you're at your most broken, wrecked state. They're going to make sure that you're not going to fall back in. Go to Calvary Chapel of Buell. Because I'll tell you what, if there's one thing my dad was not, was a judgmental person. I had so many friends that were just the most horrible looking people in the world. Tattoos all over their face. Didn't have a father. You know, one of them went to prison. And my dad was right alongside. Loving them. Showing them Jesus. Hoping that they would just surrender their hearts to the Lord. Because my dad can only do so much. It has to be their hearts. They have to want to surrender. They have to bow at the feet of Jesus. And listen, where was Jesus in this situation? When the sinful lady that everyone knew was a sinner, where was Jesus? Right next to her. Waiting to hear his voice. Waiting to defend her. Waiting to forgive her. Man, I encourage you, if you're in the first, and you're, if you're in the first story and you're suffering with some loss and you haven't given it over to the Lord or you're suffering with maybe something that's happened in your life, something that's maybe out of your control that happened to you, maybe something ro- somebody robbed something from you, Jesus is the closest he's ever been, waiting to hear his name on your lips. Or maybe you fit better. Maybe you've been off on your own. Maybe you knew Jesus from when you were young, but that is not you anymore. Maybe you're the religious person that feels like they've gotten to that point, that maybe you've judged a whole lot of people and turned people away from Christ. Now's the time to repent. Get broken before the Lord. Let him restore you. Either way, whether you're the sinner or you are the religious person, let him restore you. Let this church just be on fire. I'll tell you what, I was encouraged to come here. It reminds me just like when my dad had it. Different walks of people, different walks of life, all of which just knows that the only way to get free is from Jesus. 
So I just encourage you guys, and I have one more kind of funny thing to read to you. This is a a Mark Driscoll quote, and uh, this is what he said about the end of the story. And I never, (laughs) even when I heard this, I was like, I should probably not read this. And I was like, ah, forget it. I'll read it. Um, Basically, he was talking about this, and just to see, just to get a good picture of what happened here, it says, This is Jesus having a meal with the Pope and bringing a stripper and using the stripper as the example of how the Pope and the Cardinals should be. The distance between us and God is repentance and not good deeds. Amen? The distance between us and God is not good deeds, not understanding Scripture. It's repentance and trusting in the Lord, and he'll do the rest. You're going to grow. You're going to get involved in church. You're going to start reading your Bible. He's going to start mentoring you personally through the Holy Spirit. He loves using foolish vessels. He loves using people that everyone else gave up on. There's a lot of those people at my church that are the most on-fire people that you would never, ever believe were meth addicts, drug addicts, you know, wife beaters, you know, horrible people that are on fire for the Lord, that are completely redeemed, that the Lord defends all the time. And you can have the best just testimony. God's going to use all things that you've ever done bad for his kingdom. Whatever Satan's trying to do to rip you off, he's going to turn it around for good if you allow him to. But what's another thing that both these people did? They let Jesus work. And so you guys have to come to Jesus tonight. I didn't drive 13 hours for you guys tonight. Get your hearts right with the Lord. We're going to pray, and the band's going to come back up, and there's going to be other people up here. And don't be afraid to come up and pray with people. Remember, this lady worshipped publicly. She cried publicly. She didn't care who was around her. The only thing that matters is a relationship with the Lord. And maybe, maybe the fire's just gotten dim in your heart. Or maybe you just want to pray and just say, man, look what the Lord's done in my life. We'd love to talk to you. There's going to be elders and different people up here to come pray. So if you'd like prayer, come up front. Let's just go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, um, Lord, we love you. Lord, and every single one of us falls into one of these categories, Lord God. We're all broken and wrecked people, Lord God. Lord, I just pray if there's anything in our hearts, Lord God, that you would search it right now during this song, Lord God, and that we could... Um, just surrender to you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just, um, I just pray that every time I read this, Lord, I get convicted in my own heart. Lord, I pray that this place would be a, a, just a sanctuary just for people that are lost and broken, Lord, that we would never lose um, sight that we are the church, the people are the church. Lord, and there's a dying, hurting world out there that needs to hear the gospel message, Lord, the message that changes people's lives, and that is Jesus loves you regardless of your sin. He wants you just the way you are, and he's going to do something great. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all be just ready to repent and just to uh, just, just be here before you. And, Lord, we love you and thank you and honor and respect you and fear you, Lord God. Lord, just move in this place, move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.